Specialty Stories, session number 113. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. A welcome to Specialty Stories. I want to thank you again for taking some time for joining me today. If you listened last week, I had Dr. Donna Mendez on talking about pediatric emergency medicine. This week, we're going to talk about a similar topic, pediatrics and emergency medicine, a very rare residency program. There's only four programs in the country that do this, but Dr. Aaron Leach is one of those program directors at the University of Arizona, and he's going to talk to us all about what this emergency medicine and pediatrics combined residency is all about, why potentially you should be thinking about it, why it's maybe a little bit different than what we talked about last week, and much more. We start the conversation with Dr. Leach about how he became interested in this combined emergency medicine and pediatrics specialty. So I came into medical school 100% certain I was going to be a pediatrician. Uh, I loved working with kids. Uh, it was very uh, life-giving to take care of kids and see them do better. Uh, there was a part of me that said, well, I like taking care of kids because a lot of this stuff is not necessarily self-inflicted uh, because of choices they've made. Uh, so there's the compassion aspect of it that I really liked. And then I got into medical school and I started working at one of the local uh, ERs as a scribe. And I said, oh, no, this is I actually think I like this. Now I'm torn because this is uh, the mindset that I meld with. This is the type of people that I really like to be around. This is the practice that I enjoy. It's multitasking. It's, uh, you know, acuity that ranges from absolutely, you know, simple things to life and death. And you never know what you're going to get. Uh, I waited tables for a long time and it reminds me a lot of waiting tables <laughs> when you work in the ED. You've got people that come in, you got to make sure that you're caring for everybody. You have to do a lot of multitasking. And I was like, man, this is, this is what I love. This is what I'm good at. So I was very torn. I said, man, how am I going to choose? I had great mentors who were pediatricians. I had really good mentors after this that were emergency doctors. And then I met uh, the program director here at the University of Arizona, uh, Dr. Dale Woolridge, uh, who trained at the Combined Emergency Medicine and Pediatrics program in Baltimore. And he had started a program here and he said, well, you don't have to choose. I said, well, perfect. Uh, he said, but you got to consider, you know, do you really want to do both? You got to mm -hmm. give me a good reason why you want to do both. And I just told him this is everything that I've wanted to do. This is everything I thought I would be, everything that I'm good at. Uh, I really enjoy every part of this. I like going to clinic. I like going to the ICU. I like working in the ED. I like taking care of adults. I like taking care of kids. I like the wide range of everything I'll get to do. This is absolutely what I want to do. And fortunately, I was correct that after five years of doing this training program, uh, it was it was great. Uh, I loved every minute of it. And uh, this is the kind of thing that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So, so comparing 
waiting tables and <laughs> working in the emergency departments, you know you just bought yourself lots of personal statements for, for your residency applications where they're going to say, as a former server, I know I'm prepared to be blah, blah, blah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's the same, but <laughs> if, if I'm going to read your personal statement, you got to tell me why you think it's the same. I'm not going to yeah. help you fill in the blanks, but <laughs> I do think if you've ever waited tables and then you spend a couple of shifts in the ED, you go, oh yeah, I can see this. <laughs> I can see it. So you mentioned your mentor, someone who exposed you to this combined kind of program mentioned that it's it's for somebody who wants both. And it's interesting to look at it from that angle versus the angle of, of not knowing which one you want. And so I'll do both. Can you explain kind of the difference between those two? Uh, you know, it's really tough. Uh, we don't want to say like, hey, this is a great program for people who can't make a decision. Uh, <laughs> but there are, I, I'm always amazed at people who are torn between two specialties that to me seem very dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I, I have students say, that, that tell me, I can't decide between orthopedic surgery or emergency medicine. I go, those are not at all the same. Yeah. Or I can't decide between anesthesia and emergency medicine. I go, that's, yeah, I mean, procedures and stuff, but that's not the same. Yep. And so there are people like me who say, I can't decide between pediatrics or emergency medicine. And for some people, they're going to say what I said of like, well, they're not the same. That's not even the same thing. And I go, no, there's aspects of both sides that I really like. And uh, it, that's different from just saying like, ah, I'm not quite sure, so I'll just hedge my bets and you know get as much training as I possibly can. I think what it took for me was realizing that my pediatric training would be applicable when I see these children in the emergency department. Uh, when I see kids in the ED and they say, oh, I've had this bad belly pain, it's been going on for two months. I can reflect back on when I was in the clinic and say, well, you got to go to the clinic so that you can get your referral for your insurance to see a GI doctor. But before you see them, they're going to want to put you on some medicine. So why don't we start that now? So you don't wait that visit, you know, to help them navigate that system in the ED is incredibly helpful Mm -hmm. to the patient. And it's something that I gained from doing that extra training. Yeah. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good combined emergency medicine and pediatrics physician? So I think it's, uh, I think you have to be patient first of all, cause it's five years. And one of the first things I tell people is, are you sure you want to do five years? Because you could just do emergency medicine and you're still trained to see children. Yeah. Uh, why do you want to do two extra years? And so people that tell me, you know, this is the reason why I want to do this. It's because uh, I, I have a good reason to finish out this program. That's the first thing I look for is tell me why you want to do both programs. And so rather than, you know, as you said before, I don't want to fill in the blank for people's personal statements because it's really for my program. The first thing that I look for is to for you to tell me why do you want to do both I really want people to consider that. Mm -hmm. And I also want to know that people have considered what they want to do 
after they're done with the training program, because uh, there is there are places out there that will say we have a pediatric emergency department and we want you to uh, staff our adult and our pediatric ED. You'll be perfect because you did this program. And there'll be other places that say, no, nah, we need somebody that's done our fellowship and that's what we need to do. Um, it, you're just not going to be a good fit for us. And then the other way is true also. They, there may be, uh, there are lots of emergency departments that say, you know, I can't afford to hire somebody who's only certified to see children. I need somebody who can see both. So I recognize you did a peds residency and then a fellowship, but you know, that's not what works for me. Um, so just the best thing that I want to see out of an applicant that wants to do the combined program is that you have a good understanding of what the training is, why you want to do it, and what you're going to do with it when you're all done. For a program, uh, before we hit record, you mentioned there's only four such programs in the country. And for for a medical student or a pre-med student trying to to figure all of this stuff out, how are they supposed to get that exposure and that knowledge with with such a very small kind of base of, of physicians out there? Well, I'm hoping you can help. So <laughs> uh, there's actually been uh, a, uh, a couple, um, there's been a couple of uh, meetings that I've had with the other program directors where we've talked about just having some more visibility for this kind of training. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask our applicants, how did you find out about this program? Because I need to know what's the best way to do this. And actually doing some of these medical student podcasts has really helped the visibility for the program. And then I have the opportunity to reach out and talk to people about this. Um, Because if you look for pediatric emergency medicine, you're going to see what's the most common, which is doing uh, a peds or an emergency residency and then doing the fellowship, uh, which is great as long as that's what what fits with what you want to do. But one of our graduates uh, who's from Montana says, I want to go back to the town where I grew up and be their doctor to be able to take care of everything. Mm -hmm. And he wants the general pediatric knowledge. He wants the subspecialty time with pediatric nephrology and pediatric gastroenterology and neonatal ICU that he wouldn't get from doing just an emergency medicine residency and doing the the fellowship for two years. It's just not the same level of intensity because he wants to be a broader trained person rather than narrowing in and being a specialist. Yeah, that makes sense. The the more of the rural docs would be make perfect sense for that type of training. So let's talk about the uh, the split. If you are emergency medicine trained and pediatrics trained in in this program, a, a student who's listening to this, what should they expect on the flip side? Is it a, a wide gamut of I can just go see adults, I can just go see peds patients, I can see a, a combination? What is that? What do the prospects look like on the other side? You mean once they've graduated? Once they've graduated, yeah. So I think uh, it it depends on where you want to go. And I'll give you the story of one of my recent graduates. Uh, She wanted to go to Southern California. And she said, oh, I'd like to go to San Diego. And so she spoke to the Children's Hospital out there. And they said, you know, we appreciate that you've got some extra training. uh, But what we need is somebody who's done this fellowship training program and uh, we, you're not quite going to fit with what we want. And she said, well, I also want to spend some of my time to go see adults. And she's, and they said, well, you know, that doesn't really benefit me as a hospital. 
And she said, okay, that's fine. So she went up the road to a different hospital out in LA, another big academic center. And they said, oh, you're perfect. You're exactly what we need. And so now her split is very similar to mine of where I think she does either 60% adults, 40% or 60% peds, 40% adults, something like that. So her, uh, uh, her split, my split, what we end up doing when we're, when we're done is you have the potential to work in any emergency department across the country. If you want to work in a pediatric specific emergency department, that depends on the needs of that emergency department. So you can work anywhere that a general emergency doctor could work and you could work anywhere that a general pediatrician could work. So you could open up your own clinic if you wanted to. You could um, work in places that need a general pediatric uh, physician as a hospitalist. Uh, you can do a fellowship on the emergency side or on the pediatric side. And we've had people do both. We've had just from our program, we've had people do uh, fellowships in pediatric critical care uh, simulation and, uh, and medical education, toxicology, sports medicine, and then there's others from other programs that have done other ones. So you've got a lot of opportunity when you're done, assuming you know, but you know, you kind of keep your options open for geography and geography tends to be the biggest thing that I impress upon people of make sure that you've got a good idea where you're headed. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity for students coming in who may potentially be on that edge of, I, I, I see this, I like it, I want it. But then they go through their pediatrics and they're exposed to rheumatology and they're like, holy crap, th this just blew my mind. I want to go do a room fellowship. It sounds like they, they're open to be able to do that. Yeah. You certainly have that option. I mean, one of my, one of my friends, she's one of the smartest people I know now because she did the five-year program and then said, nope, I want to do pediatric critical care. So she went and did a three-year pediatric <laughs> critical care fellowship. So that's eight years. Yep. Um, that's a lot longer than a lot of people are willing to spend. And now she works here with me at University of Arizona and she spends time in the adult ED, the pediatric ED, and the pediatric ICU and does it all and does it all with excellence and um, had that opportunity uh, because it made her stand out. Yeah. And so I think, you know, as, as fellowships are becoming more common uh, after residency training, I think you need to be able to stand out. I wouldn't do this just to stand out because that's a long chunk of your life to spend just to stand out. There's better things you can do. Yeah. Um, but it certainly does help and it gives you a different uh, philosophy for how you're approaching a lot of medicine. Well, let's talk about the the trend of medicine to become more and more specialized. So I, I always make the joke, having wanted to be an orthopod, that we're, we're getting to a, a place where you have orthopedic surgeons who only operate on left hands because that's just the, where they like to stand and how they like the patient positioned. And this is what they're comfortable with. Are, are we potentially going to see the the hiring practices looking at a combined emergency medicine pediatrics uh, residency going you know what y you're you're too special or too unspecialized we want just emergency medicine just pediatrics or just the the pediatric emergency medicine fellowship we we don't have faith that that you know enough about this in the, in your combined program so I think that already kind of exists in certain circles. And so if uh, what I tell the applicants that are coming in to talk to me or that email me, I say, you know, uh, uh, 
if you have an idea of exactly where you want to go, you say, I want to go work uh, in Cleveland and be their specialist expert researcher in such and such, then you need to email them and say, what do I need to do to get into this job? Yep. You know, uh, but there are plenty of places that will that are still like clamoring to get somebody who is a specialist who wants to take ownership of pediatrics. Um, and there's a lot of literature out there about how people who have done the pediatric EM fellowship, they stay in large academic centers. They don't go out into mm -hmm. the community and work uh, as we had hoped. And there are people that are pushing for saying like, should, you know, is centralizing everything in a children's hospital still the best way to go? I don't really make an opinion on that. I do think that if you've got uh, that extra training, you feel more comfortable seeing children. There's still no way to be, uh, I don't know, even the word comfort, I don't like, I like prepared. You feel more prepared to see a really sick kid out there because that's where the majority of these kids are going to end up going. So I usually make the example of like the ophthalmologist. That's like, I'm a retina specialist, but I only do left eyes. You know, I don't do right eyes. You're going to have to call the right eye person and they're not in until Tuesday. Of <laughs> uh, I think that a lot of medicine is becoming more specialized because we know a lot more. Uh, my peds residency director uh, during the program, uh, the residency director for the peds side said that his residency director really was uh, looked down on everybody when they stopped making house calls. And then he as a residency director can't believe that general pediatricians don't admit their own patients anymore. And I'm like, man, I can't, I don't know what I'm going to be all get off my lawn about, but I do <laughs> think that as we learn more about what's out there, there's only so much you can fit in your head. Yeah. And so uh, for our program, what we really try to drill into you is that you need to have the pediatric experience. You've seen these kids, especially the really chronically ill kids, the tech dependent kids that a lot of give a lot of people some pause. You've seen them in the clinic. You've seen them at their subspecialist office. You've seen them when they're really sick in the ICU. You've got a background on how to take care of children that you can pull from. And then you've got the procedural competency and that critical care emergent time management uh, mindset from emergency medicine that over five years just becomes a part of you. And so, uh, I, I mean, I trust our graduates to be able to go out and, uh, and practice uh, having all of that in the back of their minds uh, with uh, probably better uh, preparation than somebody who's only done one or the other. Let's talk about, you mentioned procedural competence. Let's talk about that for a minute. For a student who is unsure if they like procedures or potentially lacks the confidence in their ability to do procedures, if they, even if they are interested in them, what's your recommendation to them for applying potentially to a very procedure-heavy specialty like emergency medicine? Well, so I think if you can get any experience during medical school, you will decide very quickly, I love this or I don't. And there's a handful of environments that you just, you'll hear graduates, residents, attendings, they, they'll tell you about how they walked into X environment and they knew I'm home. This is it for me. For some people, that's the OR. For some people, that's the clinic. For some people, that's the ICU. And for some people, it's that smell of C. diff and uh, stale urine that says, I love the ED. This is home for me, you know? Um, so if you have the opportunity 
to uh, do any kind of even a three-week elective or, you know, some experience uh, ahead of time, do it. Um, even if as a student, you email an, uh, a physician and say, can I shadow you for, you know, even once for one shift or for one overnight or for one time that would allow me to get the best exposure to what it is you do, uh, that is going to be great because then it's more than just that I had one experience where I saw somebody come back from the dead. And so now I want to do emergency medicine and I expect that's what it's going to be because that's not what it is. Most of what we do, especially in pediatric emergency medicine is convince people that their kid is going to be okay. And, you know, a lot of reassurance, a lot of anticipatory guidance, a lot of return precautions come back if your kid gets worse, but right now you're doing great. So if you don't like doing that, then pediatric emergency medicine specifically is probably not great for you because you're not constantly having critical children coming in. Um, so regardless of what you're kind of considering, try to get some experience early and that will help you to make your decision. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the, the medical TV dramas have, have kind of ruined what emergency medicine is really like. Meredith Gray's 24 hour <laughs> co cardiac arrest. And then she's back on shift the next week. That one drove me crazy. Cause now everybody expects that. Yeah. Unfortunately. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital for what you do? I do. Um, however, I think that you have to make time for it. Uh, we were joking earlier about, uh, you know, I have a podcast that I do and everybody's always got something else that they do to keep occupied. Um, I think that if I just worked all the time, especially in an emergency medicine environment, um, it's very uh, draining. Uh, it, it can be, it's high highs and it's low lows, but you have to focus on what's in the middle that it's mostly just trying to help people who are sick, scared, hurt, frustrated, whatever it is. Um, and so I really make it a point to take time out apart from doing anything related to work so that I can, uh, kind of, ref, uh, recuperate, refresh, rejuvenate, whatever you need to get back in and be able to help people again. So with shift work, uh, in the emergency department, you got to work 365. Somebody's got to work the holidays. Somebody's got to work the overnights. And so you adjust to it. But that's absolutely something that if you're considering emergency medicine of any kind that you have to determine can I function at two o'clock in the morning? And am I somebody that anyone else wants to be around at <laughs> two o'clock in the morning? Or do I turn into, uh, you know, a werewolf that no one wants to be with? Maybe this isn't the right job for me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I, I, you, you have to make it a point to, uh, do something that is not medical after work in order to kind of uh, restore yourself. For your program, are you with your shifts? Are you doing just days and someone else is is the night person? Or are you rotating through the different types of shifts? So we've got a handful of people that will do just our nights. Uh, they usually we offer them a pay differential of you can make a little bit more if you work the nights for me. But I will split between uh, 
uh, evenings and mornings. So the morning shift can start anywhere as early as 6 a.m. We work nine hour shifts, which is very nice. Um, and then it can start as late as 5 p.m. and you get off at two in the morning. But then in an emergency, you get off when everything is done. So sometimes it's not two in the morning, especially as a resident when you're trying to learn your flow and your management and get your charts done and everything. Sometimes when I was in residency, that two in the morning was five in the morning because it just took me forever to learn how to get this stuff together. I got a lot better over time. And so now it's more tolerable. Um, as a resident, everybody rotates through in a circadian fashion so that you do as much as we can an even amount of days, evenings, nights. Um, but uh, we end up doing a lot more evening shifts because that's when the patients come in. They come in in the afternoon and in the evening and in the early night. And so that's when they need us to be here. So that's when we got to show up. The moon. The moon does weird things to us. Sure does. So talk, talk about how you talked about like in an emergency, your, the shift doesn't end when it ends. Right? I think a lot of students potentially, one of the biggest misconceptions about the emergency department is, right, I can, I can schedule to go to that play right at four o'clock because I know my shift ends at three. And if I'm in the middle of compressions, that's okay. It's my turn to, to clock out. Talk, talk about like the percentage of, of time that where you're actually leaving at the time your shift ends. Um, so, you know, you gotta, you gotta get your, uh, you gotta get the transition, the handoff appropriate. So even if your sign out is done at, let's say four, if your relief comes in at four, then you're not done for probably 30 minutes while you're telling the next, uh, next person on about your patient so that the, the transition of care is appropriate. And then this just happened to me on Saturday of where my shift was done at four and I said, you know, we had this person come in and they took too many pills. So I think they'll probably wake up and, oh, what? We're intubating them? Okay, <laughs> no, I'll be right back. That's always how it goes. And so I spent another hour getting this patient stabilized and then handed them off. And so I didn't leave until about 530. Um but that's to be expected. Uh, when I tell my wife, uh, when I used to tell my wife, yeah, I'll be home at such and such time over time. She says, just let me know when you're in the car driving home. That's all I want to know, because that's something that's tangible. How long it takes to get home in traffic is actually more predictable than when I'm going <laughs> to get off after my shift. I would say yes for a percentage. I'd say that about like 60% of the time I get off when I'm supposed to. And especially in pediatrics, because most of the kids that we're going to see aren't critically sick. Mm. Um, when I'm working my adult shifts, I always buffer knowing that a lot more adults are going to be critically sick and they're going to need my time. Um, but uh, you never really prepare for that stuff. I give myself a couple hours after every shift before anything. And my family's adapted to say, well, dad might be late. You know, dad might be really late. Yeah. Dad might not come at all. <laughs> um, but it's something that uh, this is going back to what you said about, do you have enough time after work? Like I really devote the time where I'm off toward the things that are important to me so that when work kind of creeps in and takes over, you've got a little bit of credibility that you can cash in uh, when you have to stay after. Let's talk about the the training path in this combined program. I, I think uh, you mentioned it briefly and then in our previous podcasts about pediatric emergency medicine, it's, it's usually three years for emergency medicine or three years for pediatrics and then typically a three-year fellowship for a combined uh, specialty, but but your combined program is only five years. What does that 
five years look like? Are you alternating emergency medicine pediatrics? Are you doing just one and then the other? How does that, what does that look like? Yeah. So if you want to do uh, pediatric emergency medicine, you want to be really, you know, an expert in it, um, then you can do the three-year pediatric residency and the three-year pediatric emergency medicine fellowship. You can do a three or a four-year emergency medicine residency, depending on which one you choose. And then it's a two or a three-year pediatric emergency medicine fellowship, again, depending on where you want to go. And then ours is five. Um, what we do with ours is you will have, uh, you have to fulfill all of the requirements for emergency medicine and all of the requirements for general pediatrics. So we're doing these concurrently. You will do uh, two, somewhere between two and six months uh, in the emergency department doing trauma surgery, uh, ICU at the VA, emergency medicine, anesthesia, and then you'll flip and you'll do two to six months of general pediatrics, neonatal ICU, pediatric pulmonology, uh, inpatient wards, clinic. And then you'll keep flip-flop back and forth uh, until you reach your five years. And then that's kind of uh, the culmination and you've hit everything. So the way we kind of approach this is it's kind of like a uh, this is the pediatrician in me. It's like a bilingual child. You're trying to teach two languages at once. Um, so children that grow up in a bilingual household don't necessarily keep the same verbal milestones as a kid growing up in a single language household, because they're learning two different words, two different idioms, two different ways to say the same thing. But once they do, they catch up pretty quickly and then they're, they speak two languages. Mm -hmm. So that's what I feel like with our program, we're going to teach you how to speak pediatrician and how to speak emergency physician. And it's gonna. It takes a little bit longer. Um, it's a different. Uh, it's kind of a different uh, growth curve of how you're going to progress along in uh, your understanding of both specialties. But once you do, you're going to catch up, and then with two extra years of residency, even surpass some of the residents from either the emergency medicine or the pediatrics program itself, because you now speak two languages. Yeah. What should a student be doing for, for these four programs that are out there right now? As this podcast comes out, more students are going to know about it and are going to want to apply. Uh, what should a student be doing to be competitive for these programs? So I'll give a shout out to the other programs. So there's University of Arizona. There's University of Maryland uh, Medical Center in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. There's Indiana University in Indianapolis. And there's LSU uh, in Louisiana. We don't need Those to mention LSU. As a, as a Florida Gator, we don't we don't have to worry about LSU. So there's three programs. Oh, sorry. sorry, Anna. Um, so uh, so in order to make yourself competitive, uh, there are only uh, eight or nine spots in the country. Um, now you also have to consider who is going to be crazy enough to do five years, and so that right away we say, are you crazy like we're crazy? You know that you really love this enough that you want to do five years that and you know plenty. that you know at that point in your yeah. in your medical school training, and that's the biggest question. Super, it's really hard, and so I spend a lot of time emailing people. I'm more than happy for prospective students to email me. I'll talk to you about it, uh, but I really want to make sure that you understand. I do. I do most of my trying to talk you out of it first, <laughs> saying like, "Here are the things you really got to consider. This may not be worth it, but if it is, yep. then I want. Then I absolutely want you to do it. Um, so to make yourself competitive, I think what you start with is we re we uh, recommend that all of our applicants have a 
backup, either pediatrics or emergency medicine, or some people choose both. Yeah, uh, because there's only nine spots, yeah. and so really to to do a all or nothing match towards a, a, a specialty with only nine spots is not a good idea. And, and the endpoints can be the same. Yeah, and there's a good chance that if even if you don't match into one of these spots, you can still do emergency medicine and a fellowship yeah. or pediatrics and a fellowship. And we've even had several residents that graduated from one program and then re-entered the match and did the other one. So they did six years to do the same kind of thing. Yeah, um, It's not quite the same because you're taking it in chunks instead of kind of intermingling it. Uh, but I would say strengthen your application packet towards whichever is going to be your backup. So if you have a backup as emergency medicine, then you should strengthen your packet towards emergency medicine. Uh, you should show that you are a good uh, special, or you're going to be a good uh, emergency medicine resident. But then when you apply to my program, you tell me now, but this is why I would be even better at emergency medicine and pediatrics. So uh, people ask about rotations. I think that doing away rotations are great. Interview rotations are awesome because you can only hide all of your peculiarities for a month or so, and we can only hide ours for a month or so. You get a good idea of what's there uh, if you do that. But I would also say that if you're considering the uh, emergency medicine and pediatrics, uh, that you should probably do pediatric emergency medicine and pediatric ICU, you know, not necessarily both of them, but those are ones that are going to be helpful, whether you do the combined EMPs program, emergency medicine on its own or pediatrics on its own, because both of those are going to intersect with PDM and PEDS, PEDS ICU. So that would be a suggestion for something that will help you to strengthen your packet uh, for the combined program, but also for whatever your backup is going to be. Nice. And as someone who advocates for not having a plan B for medical school, right? Being a physician, uh, I fully support the plan B here because as you said, right, eight or nine spots, it's that's nothing. And the fact that there are multiple kind of paths to the same endpoint potentially, right. it's right. Uh, it's good. Okay. Yeah. For the osteopathic medical student interested in this program, what do you think he or she needs to do to overcome any potential bias out there? Um, so I think that, uh, uh, you know, two of our residents right now are osteopaths and they are fantastic. And the, the best way for them to prove that they were fantastic is they rotated with us and they showed us that they were fantastic. Um, and, uh, we love working with them. It was so easily apparent talking with them and seeing them work clinically that like, why would we choose anybody else? They do such a great job. Um, I think that if you, if you're applying to a place that has its, um, opinions already set on osteopaths that maybe not be so favorable, um, if you are the type of person that wants to be the trail trailblazer, then go for it and try to rotate there. If you're somebody that not so much, you may consider, is this really the best place for me if I'm not going to be viewed as an equal with the other residents? Yeah. Um, I think that uh, you strengthen your application just as you would for any other place. But if you feel like that may be a hindrance for you, I think doing an audition rotation is a great way to show, look, not only can I hang with anybody else 
including the students from your medical school. But I mean, I will work harder. I will have a great attitude. I will, uh, you know, show you how good I am. I think that that goes uh, further than anyone, any other way you could do it. What is a student doing on these rotations to stand out? So what I like to see is somebody who uh, takes initiative. I like to see somebody who works well with a team. Um, I like to see somebody who has done some of the work on their own. So they've got, you know, they came back and say, Hey, I read up on that patient and I realized maybe this is something we could have considered. Um, you know, there's the, there's the 2am test of, is this somebody you would want to be working with at 2am? You know, is this somebody that's reliable? Um, so much of it is fit and personality that there have been some residents that have come through, uh, uh, come through our program that other places have said, yeah, we didn't really think that highly of them. And they were such a great fit here that they flourished and did great. And other places, uh, that we, that, uh, have said, wow, we love this resident. You didn't seem to really care for him as much. Uh, We didn't. And that's, you know, I guess nothing personal, but it's just for our opinion, for our wanting to train you, especially for five years, uh, we got to make sure that you fit well. Yeah. So I think that there should be a consideration of, you know, not only am I a good fit here, because we don't want you coming in feeling insecure of like, oh man, I hope that they like me. But you also just want to determine, do I like them? Yep. Like uh, residencies are after you. We want you to come here. We want to show you why we're a good program and why you would want to rank uh, rank us highly. And so you got to determine, is this actually a place I want to go? Uh, apart from just being um, you know, a place that will give you good training. I think a lot of places can give you really good training, but is this a place that you want to live? Is this a place that you, uh, uh, a group of people that you want to be a part of for that length of time? Yeah. Now, it's interesting that the 2 a.m. test that that I know about is, do you want to hang out with these people at 2 a.m. at the bar, not do you want to work with them at 2 a.m.? Yeah, we're working at 2 a.m., <laughs> so we don't get that option pretty much. But, you know, would you want to go to the bar with them at 9 a.m. when you get off? That's a different question. <laughs> That's a much better time. All right. Um, for uh, For you, if you could go back and tell yourself something before you started this residency program or maybe before you applied, what would you what 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 have you learned that you would go back and tell yourself? Um, I think the biggest thing is that residency is uh, residency is all consuming. Um, it takes a lot out of you. Um, and so I wish I would have done a much better job. And I would say this for any residents you're going into, I wish I would have done a much better job with self-care, uh, and making sure that I took time that I now take, uh, for family, for friends, uh, for hobbies and for things that helped maintain my sanity. Um, residency is, it's not even so much uh, difficult as, you know, it's a brain drain the way that medical school can be where you feel like you're drinking from the fire hose, uh, just learning all this information. It is time and energy taxing. Um, but then, you know, the time that you have afterwards, you, you have to put effort into the things that are going to be, you want to be around when residency's around and that's family and that's friends because you can't just push pause on some of those and come back in three to five years and feel like everything's still going to be the same. Yeah. What do you like the most about being a combined EM Pete's doc? 
uh, uh, we wear pink scrubs. Uh, <laughs> so that's one thing that I like about it. We, we have a halfway party that we give for our residents who are two and a half years through. And, uh, we have a celebration for them and we buy them pink scrubs. That's the, uh, moniker of our, uh, senior residents. So if you see somebody in Pepto-Bismol pink scrubs, that's <laughs> one of ours. Uh, but I think what I like about, uh, our program is that we are, we are, people that like to have fun. Um, we are people that have, uh, a very broad perspective of medicine. And I feel like I get to do more good for people in the emergency department by helping them navigate the healthcare system, by letting them know that their child is going to be okay, by reassuring them that they're doing a good job even more so than when I intubate and put a, put central lines in and have somebody critically ill on pressors. I feel like I sometimes help people more by the time that I've learned to take with them in some of the clinics and, uh, you know, some of the, uh, ICU months that, uh, we've spent, uh, I feel like I do a better job of actually helping their quality of life through that than by trying to bring somebody back from the brink of death. What do you like the least? Um, so we said it's high highs and it's low lows. So pediatric emergency medicine specifically when it's bad, it's really bad. Uh, child abuse, uh, pediatric sexual assault. Um, uh, and some of the ones that are the worst are the completely unexpected, like drownings, uh, SIDS. Uh, so, uh, cancer diagnoses, um, often those will happen in the ED because we're always there. Um, and those are really easy, but I think the thing that I didn't realize how much I, uh, uh how much it affected me was that we can't help everyone. You know, we're, we're federally mandated white knights, uh, in the emergency department of, we have MTALA that, you know, we kind of use as a shield and say like, well, we want to take care of everybody. Well, yeah, we do. Otherwise we'll be fined. Uh, uh, but we, because we have that already, uh, we do, we want to take care of everybody that's there. We want to try to help every person that comes in to the emergency department. But there are so many people that come in with complaints that I can't help. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, I've had abdominal pain for the last two years and I've been all over and I need somebody to figure out what's going on. Uh, you know, we're not equipped for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I don't, I don't want to tell you there's nothing wrong. I don't want to tell you, I can't help you. I hate saying that. Um, what I do tell them is I'm going to make sure there's nothing dangerous going on. And then I'm going to try to help you figure out the next steps. Uh, so I try to provide hope to people who are in that hopeless situation when they come in at, you know, midnight on a Saturday and say, I need all this stuff done so I can figure out what's wrong with me. Look, that's just not going to happen. Um, and that can be more frustrating, uh, than a lot of other stuff that we have to deal with, because if that happens a lot more often than the abuse, than the uh, drownings and everything else, you more often are going to run up against a situation where you can't offer what they want. And that's hard for me. Let me ask you something that I don't think we brought up at all, but do you think having the pediatric training makes you a better adult emergency medicine physician when you're doing those uh, rotations? Uh, uh, 
Yeah, I, in in certain times, especially during residency, because you spend a lot of time in the clinics, in the wards, it's just another month with uh, where the, you know, the, the cerebellar uh, mechanics that you've learned of how to process uh, or, or how to do some of these things just naturally kicks in. And we always joke, you know, it's a big pediatrician thing that kids are not little adults, but adults really are just big kids, you know? <laughs> Uh, and so I definitely can do a lot of the same things that I do with children. And I apply some of that to adults, um, be- especially in the 20 year olds where, you know, the overlap is not quite there yet. Um, and when you say I, same things, you mean like a little squeaky toy to distract them? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how much they've had to drink. Um, so no, some of the things is trying to provide that same level of reassurance. Like yeah. in pediatrics, one of the first questions we have is, well, does this patient need an IV? Because we don't want to be mean to kids. We don't want to poke them. We don't want to do that. In adults, it's like before they even get their chief complaint, they've already got an IV, they're getting a dose of antibiotics and they're on their way through the CT scanner. That's a very bad ER stereotype right there. <laughs> um, but you know, like it's not even a question, but there are plenty of times where you say, you know, what do you actually want from this visit? Um, and be, uh, you know, I take some of that, uh, some of that uh, training I had on pediatrics, which is probably true of anybody that's done a dual training like EM, IM, uh, where you've done emergency medicine and internal medicine. And you just turn, you say, if this person walked into my clinic, would I be doing all of this stuff? No, probably not. I would probably be doing, you know, something a little bit different. So, I think it gives me a different perspective. I feel like uh, I, I I probably take more time uh, with people that I you know kind of get a sense maybe I can help you with something to try to help them navigate this system. Um, but I, I will draw from a lot of that uh, when I work with adults also. But no, no squeaky toys and flashing lights. <laughs> Although if you get the right TV show on, you can get a lot of stuff done. So. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a combined EM pediatric physician? Absolutely. And even more than that, uh, a couple of years ago, my wife told me that she would even support me all the way through it again. And that is really saying something. That's, that's a good sign off right there. Any last words of wisdom for the student who is just hearing about this specialty for the first time and, and wants to explore some more? Um, so I think the best thing is to try to get experience in both, uh, because we want to train people in both. We want you to be a pediatrician. We want you to be an emergency physician, and then we're going to train you how to be a pediatric emergency physician. Uh, so get experience in both and make sure that you really want to do both. Because the last thing that I want for somebody is to be halfway through and to be at the VA ICU and say, I hate this. I wish I was in the clinic taking care of children. Or to be in the neonatal ICU and say, I hate this. I don't want to be here doing this. I don't want to be in clinic. I hate being in clinic. We really want you to go in with eyes wide open. um, And our residents are very quick to tell people pros and cons about it, but then why they ultimately wanted to do it. So make sure you have a good reason why you would want to do both. All right. There you have it again, Dr. Aaron Leach from the University of Arizona talking about his path to become an emergency medicine in pediatrics specialist, what he loves about it, what he doesn't like about it, and much more. And if you are interested in any 
of those programs, go check them out. Again, Dr. Elise mentioned those four programs out there uh, to, to check out and to explore. So if you know that you're really interested in pediatrics and emergency medicine, and it sounds like an amazing combined program that, that you want to take part in, go find one of those programs, go find a physician who maybe has graduated from one of those programs and do, uh, do some homework and do some research and, and really understand what it is that you potentially are getting yourself into. Because as Dr. Leach mentioned, one of the first things that he wants to do is make sure that you want to do both. So hopefully this podcast episode helped you today. If you are looking for some more from Dr. Leach, he actually has a podcast himself. His podcast is called Arizona EMCast, which you can find if you just Google AZ EMCast or Arizona EMCast. You can find that podcast there. So go check him out. Uh, That's why his sound quality sounded great today. We popped on Skype and I saw his setup and I'm like, yes, another podcaster. So I was excited to see that. So hopefully this episode helped you, helped, helped you explore a little bit more of what is out there. That's what this podcast is for. I hope you have a great week. Next week, I have a great conversation with an occupational medicine physician and really what that specialty is all about because it is one that is misunderstood. It is one that not a lot of people know about and I'm hoping to expose you to it because as a former flight surgeon in the Air Force, that's what I did was occupational medicine and I loved it. It's a great specialty. So don't forget to subscribe so that you get these episodes every week for free on your device of choice. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.